Hey, everybody. How you doing? And welcome to episode number 114 of the John Riley Project. We are broadcasting, as we always do, from Poway, California, the city in the country. It's Sunday, March 1st, 2020. And, you know, this is a podcast. It's all about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And and we're going to get into a lot of these issues today because I'm going to break down how I'm voting on my March 3rd Super Tuesday primary ballot here in the state of California. And I'm going to share with you kind of what I'm up to and how I'm voting. And just to kind of give you an idea of what my sense of things is, I think this will be kind of fun to go through the ballot together. And I know a lot of people already have voted. I think about two-thirds of the people have vote by mail, and I'm sure a lot of people have already submitted their ballots. Um, I should have probably done this ballot recommendation a few weeks ago, but I was uh, – kind of down for the count for a while. I was, I got a bug and, and I started feeling better. And then I went on a trip, an electric vehicle adventure up into the Eastern Sierra Nevadas and into, into Nevada as well. And I'm going to break down that in a separate episode, a really fun electric vehicle adventure exploration kind of a deal. I had a great time and I, I'm going to save that for another episode. But I was doing that in the second half of February as well. And then I finally got back from my trip and then I got caught my bug again and I was down for the count for a while. So it's been kind of a tricky month. But anyways, I'm back. It's Sunday. It's March 1st. It's a new month. It's March Madness. Um, and uh, I'm ready to get back into the swing of things. So it's all good. Um, my last episode was the one I did on February 17th, where we broke down the Poway Unified School Bond Measure P, you know, follow the money. And Wow, that podcast got a lot of traction, got some really interesting feedback from people um, in the community. Some people that really liked it. Some people thought, wow, this is a little bit of a, of a tangent, you know, uh, from some of the, the style of some of my podcasts I've done in the past. And it was. Um, I was kind of amped up and I had a lot to say. Um, but again, a big shout out to Chris Cruz from South and North Poway Vote. She did a lot of research there. I added my own levels of research, uh, digging around to see where the money supporting Poway Unified Measure P for the school bond, where that money's coming from. And, and if you go back and listen to that podcast, you'll see they've raised, you know, as of February 17th, over $144,000, almost exclusively from companies in the construction industry, architectural firms, and other kinds of companies that provide services to the school district, obviously looking for a little investment and hopefully a return on their investment down the road. There's a lot of cronyism. It's kind of the way the game is played, and we broke that down. Um, and I'm going to talk about Measure P again in this podcast as we go through my ballot. Um, but breaking news tonight, I, I just saw this a couple of hours ago. Pete Buttigieg has decided to suspend his campaign. You know, he came in, I think it was was it fourth place in um, in the state of South Carolina? You know, it's interesting. He came in first in Iowa, uh, at least in the delegate count, not in the not in the um, popular vote. Came in second in New Hampshire, third in Nevada, fourth in South Carolina. Definitely not trending in the right direction, and really saw the writing on the wall. He decided to step down, and so. You know, if a candidate knows that they really don't have a, sh have a shot, you know, then I give them credit for stepping down and clearing space to allow other candidates to get involved, especially the way this Democratic presidential process is working out where, you know, they talk about the lanes, right? You got the, the lane with the progressives, which is mostly Bernie and, and Elizabeth Warren, and you got those so-called moderate or 
corporate Democrats, if you will, you know, where where Mayor Pete was in that lane. So is Vice President Biden. So is Mike Bloomberg. So is Amy Klobuchar. Um, so very interesting to see that he stepped, Pete stepped down. And, you know, I originally, and like many, many months ago, I predicted that Pete Buttigieg was going to win the Democratic nomination. I thought he was the guy that could bring a lot of different factions together. Um, I thought that when Democrats have traditionally been successful um, at the presidency level, they've usually done it with a um, a young candidate, a, a, an a, a, an intelligent candidate, someone that's representing a new generation like a Bill Clinton, a Barack Obama, a John F. Kennedy. Um, those are the ones that sort of capture the imagination of the American people and have been very successful. And I thought Mayor Pete had the potential to be this next wave of that kind of um, youthful, new generation, um, forward-looking uh, candidate in the Democratic Party. And I thought that was going to work to his favor. Well, obviously, he wasn't getting traction. I mean, Bernie's getting a lot of um, action. Joe Biden had a great uh, run there in South Carolina. Um, I think the tsunami of money that Mayor Pete is putting forward is going to hit. And, and when Super Tuesday rolls, I think uh, I say Mayor Pete, I mean, uh, Mayor Mike, Mike Bloomberg. I think a lot of the money behind Mike Bloomberg's campaign is going to start rolling. And I think Pete probably just saw that he was at a disadvantage. And probably smart of him to step back and know that he's still got a lot of bullets left in his gun. He can still run in 2024 and 2028, and he'll still be a very young man. So um, really interesting to see him step back. Uh, But it makes you wonder, you know, what kind of backroom dealing was going on where the campaigns for Joe Biden or for or for uh, Mike Bloomberg, or maybe even for Amy, Amy Klobuchar, were they working deals? Were they twisting arms? Um, were they negotiating with Pete to step down and promising him something down the road? Maybe are we going to see him potentially with a cabinet appointment? Should a Democratic candidate win? Very interesting to see how this plays out. Of course, he's no longer mayor of South Bend, so he's a free agent. So he can go in a lot of different directions. But yeah, so he's stepping down. And now the race is going to kind of take a different shape, a different a different look. And we'll see how this all plays out. You know, Super Tuesday is on March 3rd. And I'm recording this. It's about nine o'clock on Sunday, the first. So, you know, in 36 hours, you know, people are going to be at the polls here in California and in 14 other states, you know, really going to be voting. So it's going to be very interesting. Um, Also, more breaking news. Tom Steyer uh, decided to step down and. You know, Tom Steyer, I've I've commented on him in the past. He always wondered what made him special, what made him different. Um, He just seemed to not have a very good brand. I mean, he was obviously very anti-Trump. He said he was the only one that said climate change was his number one issue. But you just... I just never felt it, you know, and he invested a ton of money in advertising. And when I was up in Nevada, like a week and a half ago, I saw billboards for Tom Steyer all over the place. Um, But I think he had made such a significant investment in South Carolina and and in uh, targeting the African-American community. My sense is he probably wanted to at least see South Carolina through. Um, it was obvious that um, you know, I don't even think he picked up a delegate. I think he didn't even get up to the 15 percent requirement. So he stepped down as well, which I think is smart. 
not only for him personally, but I think for the Democratic Party and how that plays out. But it's just fascinating. Um, it also kind of goes to to show is that, you know, people are saying, we don't want these billionaires buying an election. Well, I think this proves that you, you can't buy an election. I mean, that whole concept is nonsense. You can spend a lot of money to try to influence the public, to advertise a lot, to do a lot of marketing. But if you really don't have a good core personal brand, you don't have policies that get traction, if you don't um, capture the imagination of the people, it doesn't matter how much money you spend. Um, you know, so, you know, in the world of politics, it's not, you have to have money to be successful. But you can't necessarily buy an election. I don't think Mike Bloomberg is ultimately going to win because he's a billionaire. I think if Mike Bloomberg is successful, and I don't think he will be, but if he is successful, I think it will be because um, of his policies and his and his track record in New York City and the positioning that he offers in the in the in the race amongst the Dems and potentially in the race against Trump. That positioning will be what elects Bloomberg, assuming he's elected, not necessarily his money. His money will help him. But you, you know, you can't buy an election. And so I think Tom Steyer stepping down proves that point. It's also another interesting angle to this and you know it's interesting is on one hand especially amongst our friends on the left, they'll talk about how they want to get money out of politics, right? They, you know, and money is a corrupting influence in politics. And I agree. Um, you, you see a tremendous amount of money spent there. But the funny thing is, is that there were, there were two billionaires running in the Democratic primary where they had, you know, almost unlimited money relative to their other competitors. But even candidates like Bernie Sanders, who are calling for public funding of elections, he's raising a tremendous amount of money. So it's funny how the Democrats will talk about getting money out of politics, but yet they are voracious fundraisers as they go through it. And I really, I guess you could say that's how the game is played, at least that way it's played today. I've always believed that the reason that there is such huge money spent on politics, the reason that corporations want to influence the process so much is because the government has such massive central planning powers, central planning authority through the regulatory state um, that they can tilt playing fields, that they can distort markets to benefit some at the expense of others. And it's that massive power of government that attracts a lot of this money so that they can have influence in that process. And that's why I've often said, if you really want to get money out of politics, you need to get politics out of money. You need to get the government's central power, central planning power needs to be greatly, greatly reduced. And if government only is focused on a small section of the economy, if any at all, I mean, I think you can make a rightful case that there should be a separation of economy and state, just like we call for a separation of church and state. If there is that level of a separation, and that's sort of my utopian version, um, then there wouldn't be a need for people to be throwing so much money at government, so much money at rigging systems and throwing money at these politicians if the government didn't have the power in the first place to distort the market. Now, of course, we're never going to see that. We're never going to see a strict separation between the two. That's why I'm always calling for limiting the government minimizing the scope of government. And if that's done, that's also going to minimize the corrupting influence of money in government. 
But anyways, um, so Steyer stepped down. Buttigieg just stepped down. So now we're going into Super Tuesday, and you still got Bernie and Warren in the progressive lane. Is Warren going to step down after Super Tuesday? I think she will. Word is that she's trailing in her home state of Massachusetts. And then um, in the in the moderate lane, you, you still got Biden coming off that big win in South Carolina. Uh, Bloomberg is now suddenly going to start appearing on the ballot in the Super Tuesday states. Um, Amy Klobuchar is still kind of hanging around, you know, and, and really she hasn't doesn't look like she has the opportunity to win a state except potentially her home state of Minnesota. But you wonder, is she sticking around, hoping to have some influence? Maybe there might be an opportunity for her um, in a cabinet level position or maybe even a vice presidency uh, for Amy Klobuchar. You know, a lot of people have talked about the Democrats need a female um, on the ticket uh, to really, again, kind of separate and, 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 dis- and create a distinction between them and the Republicans. So just fascinating how this is all playing out. Um, but, yeah, those are big news. Uh, Pete Buttigieg, especially today, stepping down. You know, they never end their campaign. They always suspend it, you know, just in case it goes to a broker convention and they can flip the switch back on and then re-engage. And then who knows? Maybe we're going to see a broker convention. I would love to see that just for the sheer drama of it. I think it'll be fascinating. But most likely, I think what's going to happen is it'll be Bernie or Biden or Bloomberg. All these Bs. (laughs) There was even Buttigieg. Um, So, yeah, I think it'll either be um, Bernie, Biden, or Bloomberg is going to end up winning it. It probably is not going to go to a broker convention because it rarely ever does. Um, but I hope it does just because, I, I, again, I like the drama. I like the intrigue. And I think it'd be a lot of fun to follow. We'll see. Um, so anyways, um, I, you know, I talk to a lot of my friends and, you know, with sometimes – for some of my friends, I talk politics with other friends. I don't. And, and that's OK. Um, and so the, my friends, I can talk politics with. We, you know, we'll have friendly conversations. We understand and respect where each other are from and we'll jab each other. And, um, you know, it's funny. It's like I have friends of friends and we connect as well. Mm-hmm. One of my friends of friends, he sent an email to this group of about five or six of us. And this guy is a real hardcore right wing guy. And he was like asking us his headline or his title in the email was, so who are all you commies going to be voting for? And it was, it was just funny, you know, because he's such a hardcore right winger. And it opened up the conversation. And, and it was just fascinating because in our group, you know, there are they're mostly all you know, left-leaning, mostly all Democrats. And some were for Bloomberg and they thought he was the only, because he was the only one that could potentially beat um, Trump. Then there were others in the group that really were kind of more progressive, more Bernie or Warren oriented. There were others in the group that were sort of in that blue, no matter, no matter who, you know, that just, we need to beat Trump and I don't care who it is. Any of those Democrats are good enough. That was what some of my friends were saying as well. Um, but, but it's interesting you know, even um, I had I have two friends that I I will engage with on Facebook on um, politics quite a bit, and they are both hardcore Bernie supporters. I mean, just true believers. And you know the way the Facebook algorithm kind of works is I all I seem to see are their top posts, almost entirely about Bernie and how Bernie's going to win and. It's amazing how that Facebook algorithm works because it gives you such a distorted view of reality because you're only seeing the posts that come from people that you engage with. But it's funny. So, I mean, if you if you go on my Facebook feed, you're going to see a ton of pro Bernie stuff just from the people I engage with. Um, 
you know, but even among some of my other friends, there are some that are um, that are very pro-Trump and other others that are Republican and are sort of reluctantly Trump. They don't really like Trump, but they do like some of his policies. Um, there's others that I that I know that like Trump almost exclusively because he's kicking the, the ass of the people on the left. He's he's given it to the Democrats. And there's some people that are motivated by that. They just like and, and there's a lot of people, I think, that voted for Trump for that reason, because because he had the biggest balls in the room. You know, he was the one that was going to go and and punch the other guys in the nose. And they just love that. So just the, the motivations of all these t- different people and who they vote for is fascinating. You know, I, I tend to be. In in a completely different spot, and I'm going to go through that in a minute. But um, you know, like I said, I, I predicted Pete was going to win the Democratic nomination. I'm obviously wrong, um, and you know, I was wrong on Trump too. I didn't think there was any way in hell he was going to get the GOP nomination. And then even if he got the nomination, I thought it was impossible that he was going to win the presidency. And you know, my predictions are usually worth nothing. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm I'm not very good at it. Sometimes my predictions are more about my heart than my head, I think, and that's why. Um, but, you know, in the end, you know, I, I if I looked at the Democrats, you know, I, I liked Andrew Yang. I've talked about Andrew Yang a lot. He had so many policies he took positions on, and a lot of them I really, really liked. Like, like for example, he was for ranked choice voting, which I thought was fabulous. Um, but there were other policies that Yang supported, like universal basic income, of which I wasn't a fan. Yang ended up stepping down. It looks like he's now a commentator on CNN. People have speculated that he could be a vice presidential candidate. Um, Tulsi Gabbard's still in the race. She was someone I always kind of thought was getting a bad rap, you know, the way Hillary Clinton called her a Russian agent, which I thought was ludicrous. Um, but I always liked how she had great integrity in really trying to end all these regime change wars and bring our troops home. And, and I always respected that in her. But the rest of her policies I didn't care for. She was very much uh, a, a strong progressive. She's still in the race for some reason. So you kind of wonder what her, her play is. She's also a free agent. You know, she is no longer a congressman from Hawaii. Um, I think she allowed her term to expire. So just amazing. Um, but, you know, in the end, I'm not going to support any of them. Uh, I'm not supporting any of the Democrats. I'm not going to vote for any of the Democrats and I'm not voting for President Trump either for a lot of completely different reasons. And and I've seen this conversation, you know, amongst um, people online, some of my friends and, you know, sometimes they see it as you have to vote for the lesser of two evils. You know, you're going to be faced with Trump and then either Biden or Bloomberg or Bernie and, you know, what pick the lesser of evils. And I've always never been a fan of doing that because I figure if you vote for the lesser of evils, then you're essentially still voting for evil. You're still encouraging evil. Um, if there are two candidates that I have to choose from and one is like brain cancer and the other is heart disease, why should I have to pick between those two? Um, I don't support that at all. If, if I'm only left with two bad choices, I'm either going to um, – pick a third party or I'm going to write in someone or I'm not going to vote at all because I refuse to give in um, and vote for people that I don't like simply because the other person is even worse. And that's another reason why ranked choice voting is so, so important. And another reason why I was supportive to a degree of Andrew Yang, uh, because with ranked choice voting, you could vote for who you want rather than having to vote for the lesser of evils. Um but, you know, it's funny, too, they're, they're, like some of my friends, they'll, they'll talk about um, uh, 
you know, they'll see the world as, you know, these Democrats and they'll see Trump and, and they tend to be Democrats, some of my friends. And so, of course, they'll, they're going to see Trump as awful and that any of these other Democrats are going to be so much better from their perspective. Um, you know, and they look at me thinking, well, how could you possibly not support one of these Democrats? You don't support Trump, do you? you we got to get rid of Trump. And I'm like, well, yeah, but um, I I don't know. I I. I don't see it quite the same way, though, because it, like, for example, if, if I were to vote, if I were to have a, if the pick was Trump versus Bernie, Trump has got obviously I've, I've had multiple podcasts about all the policies of President Trump I am not a fan of. But with Bernie Sanders, it's a completely different list of policies that I'm strongly in opposition to. Now, from some of my Democratic friends, they're probably happy with some of those Bernie policies or even some of the Bloomberg and Biden policies. I'm not. Um, And so to me, it's almost like I'm exchanging one version of awful for another. And and, and, and I struggle with that, Uh, where from some of my other friends' perspective, they don't see it as – this, you know, two different versions of similar degrees of awfulness. They think one is terrible, 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 and the other one is only slightly bad. And I, I just don't see it that way. So, and then people will say, "Oh yeah, you're wasting your vote." I'm like, "Well, wasting your vote is voting for someone that you don't support. Wasting your vote is compromising your values, compromising your principles, compromising your integrity, and voting for someone that's a lesser of evils." In my opinion, that is wasting your vote. So what I always try to do is vote for someone that I enthusiastically support. And if I don't support anyone enthusiastically, then I won't vote at all. Um, and and I, I, I'm comfortable with that uh, because that way I know I'm voting my conscience and I know I can sleep at night. Um, and, and I also know that my one vote isn't going to change the world, you know, especially here in the state of California. When we get to the November election California is a stone cold lock to give all of its electoral college votes to the Democratic candidate, regardless of who I vote for. Um, if I if it's Bernie and Trump and if I pick Bernie, I pick Trump doesn't matter. Bernie is going to get all of the electoral college votes in California. Or if it's Biden and Trump doesn't matter who I vote for. I could vote for Biden. I could vote for Trump. I could vote for nobody. Doesn't matter. Biden's going to get 100 percent of the electoral college votes in the state of California. Because it's a safe state. So I'm I'm always of the opinion you don't even need to compromise. You don't even need to bend your own integrity to vote for someone you think is a lesser of evils when in the end it's not going to make a difference anyways. Um, So that's why I'm always for voting for who you support, who you believe, who you believe in. And, you know, one candidate that's been mentioned as a potential candidate for president – that's looking less and less likely he's going to end up running is Justin Amash, who I've done multiple podcasts on him. He's the the former Republican congressman from the state of Michigan who went up against President Trump, decided that he declared that Trump should be impeached, declared his independence from the Republican Party on July 4th of 2019. Um, And some people have thought that he may run as a third party candidate um, in the 2020 election. Again, that's looking less and less likely. Uh, But if he ever did, I'd be behind him 100 percent. He's someone I could believe in. Um, But one of my friends who's a, a strong progressive, you know, she was like upset with me for not supporting one of the Democratic candidates and saying, 
well, that's you and your privilege and you're just some, you know, white male and you can get away with this because you're privileged. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Is it privilege just to simply vote for what you support? Is it privilege just to simply vote for who you believe in and to reject candidates that you don't like? Um, so it, it's funny. Like I, um, I, I'm, I'm a big believer when I go – I enjoy going to the polls. I vote every election. And um, I don't I don't mail it in. Um, I don't do right or uh, absentee ballots. I always go to the polls. I like the process. Um, I like taking time and going through that motion because I feel like I'm participating in something. And I also have a sense that I'm really expressing myself, my expressing my own values through my vote. Um, so. Going through that process, to me, I mean, if I'm going to go through to that length, I'm going to damn well vote for someone that I support or and, and absolutely positively not vote for someone that I like, that I dislike, <laughs> someone that I, and I, I'm not going to try to pick a lesser of evils. If I'm going to go through this process of taking my time and energy to vote, I am not going to compromise and vote for someone that I find is just a slightly lesser version of terrible. Um, so it's just funny how it sorts out. But in the end, um, from my perspective, <laughs> we're doomed. <laughs> you know, it's, it's going to be Bernie or Trump or it's going to be Biden or Trump or Bloomberg or Trump. And to me, from my perspective, none of those work. <laughs> so that's why I'm joking. We're doomed. I, from your perspective, you might think the choices are great. The choices are obvious. From my perspective, it's it's uh, you know it's a shit sandwich and, and, and a shit croissant <laughs> in each in each one. And, and I just I'm not really pleased with either choice. So um, I'm going to break down the uh, the ballot. For, but first, before I do, I just want to give a big shout out to our sponsor, PowayStore.com. Go out there to Poway Store. They got uh, here's one of their mugs right here. I'm showing it on the YouTube uh, uh, presentation here. If you're listening on Stitcher or Spotify or on iTunes, you can't see it, but you can see if you go to PowayStore.com. Um, there, there's coffee mugs, T-shirts, um, all kinds of fun things with Poway logos. Um, Long sleeve T-shirts, short sleeve T-shirts, good stuff. So um, our friends at Poway Store were kind enough to give me one of the mugs um, and uh, go out there and give them a shout out. You can get on their mailing list too on their website at PowayStore.com. Um, scroll down a little bit. There's a few opportunities there where you can sign up, get on their mailing list and get updates on new product announcements. So um, yeah, so that's our sponsor, PowayStore.com. Um, okay, so... What am I going to do on Tuesday? So, um, you know, I, I hadn't really looked at my presidential um, pamphlet. I actually went through it this afternoon, and we're going to go through it together um, for uh, um, for my March 3rd ballot. And I, I, I wanted to go through everything. I've been hearing, you know, conversation about all these issues and ballot propositions and, and candidates, but I hadn't really comprehensively gone through the entire ballot. And we're going to do that today. Um, now, one of the things... I told you I enjoy going to the polls and, you know, roughly about two thirds of the voters in San Diego County vote by mail, which is tremendous. That's why it's always interesting when you see people campaigning right up until Election Day. I mean, two thirds of the people have already voted and there's another giant swath of people that just never vote at all. Um, so the influence that late in the game, there's so few that are on the fence by that point. Um, 
I might be one of those, although I'm not on the fence. I usually have my mind pretty much made up. But um, it, it's interesting when you see people campaigning. You got to give them credit. You know, they're campaigning until the very end. But very few people are undecided in the last couple of days before the election. Um, but I always end up going um, – I used to always go around the corner to this gateway um, retirement um, home. It's like an assisted living facility right next to Pomerado Hospital uh, here in Poway. And I'd always gone there. And then for some reason, the last election cycle, I had to go down to St. Gabriel's Church on Twin Peaks and vote there. So I'm, I'm not sure exactly where I'm supposed to go on Tuesday. Oh, yeah, here I'm looking at my ballot. So I have to go back to St. Gabriel's Catholic Church. Uh, right there next to Twin Peaks Middle School. So I'll vote there again. Um, but you know what's interesting is every time I go into the into the polls, there's never a line. Um, and if there is, I might have to wait one person back. You know, I see these things on TV where people are standing outside on sidewalks for hours and hours to vote. And I'm thinking, really? I've never been involved in that process. And I always thought if, if the lines are that crazy long, then you probably should vote by mail. But for me, it's it's never, never, ever, ever an issue. Um, so I like to go in, and I and I, plus I get the little I voted sticker, which I think is kind of fun to get to. Um, and I love the process. And, and you know, the other interesting thing is that never, ever has anyone ever asked for my ID. Now, I'm not a proponent of voter ID. Uh, I, I know there's a lot of people that are. I mean, so there's a lot of people that are convinced that there's tremendous voter fraud. There's people that are convinced that illegal aliens are voting and, and dead people are voting. And, you know, does some of that happen? Probably. But I my hunch is, and based on everything I've read, it's a, just a tiny, insignificant fraction of the overall voting populace. But it still is interesting that, you know, you consider all the different places where you have to do business. You have to show an ID. You don't have to show one at the bulls. And they just ask you your name and they look you up and they just they say, are you at this address? And you say, yeah. And they go, OK, here's your ballot. Um, and away you go. Um, yeah, again, I'm not a I don't think it's necessary for us. To, I, I, I think there's too many things in life where you have to constantly be showing ID, ID, ID. Um, and with government, they should make it easy to vote. Um, even if that means that there might be a little bit of fraud in the process, again, I think it's unless someone can prove that there's a tremendous amount of fraud, um, I see no reason to do voter ID. But anyways, no one ever checks my ID. So when I, I just want to set this up before I go through the specific people and the ballot propositions. And just so you understand how I line up, I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. And so I'm a no party preference. Some, some people say I'm an independent voter. Um, I used to be what I would call a libertarian voter for a long time. Um, I was a member of the Libertarian Party in the 1990s and the early 2000s. But that party was just kind of a mess and never really had much um, success. And at the same time, the system is just so terribly rigged for the two primary parties, Republican and Democrat. I did a whole podcast on that, on the elections are rigged. And I encourage you to go back and check that one out. I went through it in tremendous detail about how the way how the system is rigged it's quite often rigged for the two main parties but there's a lot of other ways it's rigged um but at any rate uh you know when california switched to this top two process where some people call it a jungle primary where everyone's thrown in the same bucket and you don't really vote by party and then the top two are the ones that advance and they do that for almost every election except for the presidential ballot um so in the end, you know, the, the third parties are just going to get screwed. I, I saw no reason to continue. And so I've been a, a, a no party preference voter now for, gosh, 
over six years, I think. So, um, and I'm comfortable in that spot. But at any rate, the the I have uh, another podcaster I listen to. His name's Jason Stapleton, and he talks about the five principles that guide his view of politics. And he and I are highly, highly aligned. And um, his five principles are individual rights, limited government, peace, tolerance, and free markets. And I was like, oh, that's perfect. That's like a great way to express how I feel about things. Um, you know, individual rights with that. That's why this podcast is about individual rights. It's about our inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness that, that are you know, written into our Declaration of Independence at our, at our nation's founding essentially means you have a right to manage your own life. You have a right to have the liberty to make your own choices in life. And you have the right to live your life according to your own values, to essentially pursue your own happiness, to live without coercion from others, um, and not to have your rights violated by others. It's basically kind of a live and let live philosophy. You know, you do your thing, you do you, and, and I'll do me. And, and, and as long as we don't conflict, as long as we're not harming each other, as, not, as long as we're not violating the rights of each other, then, hey, man, you do your thing and you go and, and love it, man. You know, and so that's what individual rights are all about. Um, and in order to have a system that supports individual rights, you need a limited government that gives you the most amount of individual liberty. Um, and that involves also peace. That's one of the five principles. Peace meaning, you, you know, we're, our government's not out there fighting wars all around the world. Um, and tolerance, you know, tolerance of all of these, you know, different lifestyles and different different groups, all, the, all these group rights you hear about. Well, you know, whether it's gay rights or Black Lives Matter or, you know, we, we're hearing all of those and our, our friends on the left bring up a lot of those group identities, identity politics. And even our friends on the right bring do a lot of identity politics. We're, I'm of the opinion that we all should have the same rights. We all should have equal rights. We all should have the same individual rights regardless of our ethnicity or our race or sexual orientation. Um, and then in the end, that's tolerance, you know, so – Live and let live. Um, and then free markets, which I'm a big supporter of, where people can buy and sell and trade and do so without coercion by government, without, you know, these ridiculous trade wars and tariffs and without, you know, putting trade into black markets. And those are a lot of the things that government policies tend to do. So um, those are my principles, individual rights limited government, peace, tolerance, and free markets. So when I go through my ballot, that's how I'm thinking. Uh, that, that's how I go through this. And that's why I don't generally support Republicans or Democrats because they rarely support those things. Um, they might sometimes support a little of it. And sometimes one of the parties might give lip service to some of those things, but the policies they enact are usually in direct conflict. So that's why I'm generally not super supportive of the third of, of the two main parties. But anyways, let's go through this ballot, um, this booklet, and um, I'll let you know how I'm going to vote in the uh, uh, the primary. Now, as a no party preference voter, I cannot vote in the Republican primary. Um, and the Republican primary, obviously, President Trump is in that, and um, you know, Governor Bill Weld, the former governor of Massachusetts, is in that race. I'm not sure if he's on the ballot in California. I think he is. Um, but I can't vote in that race anyways because you got to be a declared Republican. Uh, but just as an aside, it's interesting is that in some of the states, the state 
GOP has essentially said, we don't need to have a primary. We're just going to give all of our um, delegates to President Trump because he's the president. And we support him. And President Trump, when he ran in 2016, he made a big point about how the elections are rigged. And now in 2020, when he's running in the primary where they just don't even have a primary at all, the elections are now rigged for him, <laughs> which, again, um, that, that's part of my elections are rigged podcast, which I invite you to go check out. Now, I had the opportunity to choose a ballot of some of the other parties, including the Democratic Party. And I would have had to make a proactive choice to request that ballot. And then I could vote for Klobuchar or Biden or whomever. I'm consciously not doing that um, because I know in the end, I'm not going to support any of them in November anyways. And really, so why should I vote for one of them in, in, in the primary? I, 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 why should I vote for someone that I don't really believe in. So I'm not going to even vote in the Democratic uh, group, in the Democratic primary. But I will say this. I'm, you know, Buttigieg, like I said, I thought he was going to win. Buttigieg, I liked. I, I liked the fact he was this young, intelligent young man, um, kind of an up-and-comer, a mayor, wasn't part of the D.C. establishment. I, I, there was a lot to like about him. Um, you know, there's some there were issues with him that I didn't care for either. He obviously didn't get enough traction to win. Joe Biden, I've always said, is from a land far, far away and a time long, long ago. Uh, gosh, if Biden wins, I, I just think he's going to get steamrolled by President Trump. Um, you know, I'm going down this list. Look who else is in here. Julian Castro is on this list. I always thought that he had an opportunity to be a VP uh, potential pick by the Democrats, but he declared his allegiance to Elizabeth Warren early on. So I wonder if that's going to take him off the list of potential vice presidents. Uh, looking down here, there's Marianne Williamson, the uh, spiritual advisor of Oprah Winfrey, um, Andrew Yang. Hey, there's Rocky De La Fuente. And I think Rocky is from San Diego, if I recall. So he's on the Democratic uh, ballot. And there's Delaney and Klobuchar and Sanders and Tom Steyer, Devel Patrick, Michael Bennett, Michael Bloomberg, Cory Booker. So, yeah, anyway, so I'm not voting for any of them. I'm, and then here is the ballot for the American Independent Party, which there's a lot of people that think they are independent, registered independent voters, but mistakenly choose to be on the American Independent Party, which doesn't mean you're really independent. But what's interesting I noticed on this ballot is that Rocky De La Fuente is on that ballot, too. But what the difference is, is that on the Democratic ballot, he's listed as uh, Rocky, R-O-Q-U-E, and then in, and then in uh, quotations, Rocky, R-O-C-K-Y, like Rocky Balboa, De La Fuente the third with the number three suffix, uh, Roman numeral three suffix in the Democratic ballot. But in the American Independent Party, it's just Rocky, you know, quotes Rocky, De La Fuente without the, the Roman numeral three. But I'm pretty sure it's the same guy. So he somehow got on both ballots, which is interesting. But if I recall, he's like, I think he's from Chula Vista. Um, so anyways, I'm, and there's, you know, who else is on the uh, the American independent ballot is Phil Collins. <laughs> Probably not the singer from Genesis. Um, but um, yeah, so that's, that's uh, the American independent party. Then here's the Libertarian Party, which I told you I was, I'm a former member. I'm going up and down this list. I don't know any of these guys except for... Adam Kokish, who I know is kind of a, he's a loose cannon, that guy. Um, he's always, he's kind of a, you know, a, a, how do you say this? He, um, 
he's he's always you know a, a shit disturber you know always kind of causing trouble there's vermin supreme who's kind of a joke candidate on this list um there's some people that think justin amash could potentially rise up what's interesting is in the libertarian party these these votes that are made in in these primaries by the states are only advisory they're going to have a convention in may and in that convention the delegates that are in that convention are the ones that will choose the nominee. And they're not necessarily bound to what the people vote. Um, but it's interesting. If, if you see the, the video of the Libertarian Party, it's just in a banquet hall in a hotel. And some of the video from the 2016 one is there's some just unbelievably foolish things that some of the people did on stage. Um, it's just in some ways kind of a joke and it's sad. Uh, but anyways, I'm not voting for anyone in the Libertarian Party. And so the Republican Party doesn't even appear in my pamphlet because I'm not allowed to vote for them uh, because I'm not a member of the Republican Party. Okay, so now let's get really right down to it. Um, the uh, United States Representative, the 52nd District. So that's the district that I live in here in Poway. And one of my choices is Nancy Cassidy, a Democrat, a climate policy analyst. Ryan Cunningham, uh, no party preference, an independent like me, um, a public finance banker. Um, Jim DiBello, um, a Republican, a technology entrepreneur. And Scott Peters, the, um, the incumbent Democrat. Now, Scott Peters is a nice guy. Scott, Scott Peters, is, it's almost impossible to not like Scott Peters. He's a good guy. He's not like a hardcore lefty like some Democrats. This district, up until recently, was pretty even Stephen. Um, Democrats uh, have gained more um, traction demographically in the district. But I remember when Carl DeMaio ran against Peters in 2014, it was darn close to 50-50 demographically between Republicans and Democrats. Now there's more Democrats. And this is a crazy district. It, it goes, I think, up there, San Dieguito, like near the White Animal Park, comes down through Poway and RB, goes through Mira Mesa, cuts you know, horizontally over to La Jolla and then goes down south through the beach area and even into Coronado, if I recall. Um, Peters, if I had to pick a Democrat to support, it would be him uh, because he at least is for a balanced budget, which is something I'm supportive of. Um, But at the same time, I mean, I was just going through his website. Let me see if I can pull it up here. Um, There there are things about Scott Peters that are great. And and there are things about him that, again, I'm just not a big fan of. So, yeah, so he's he's calling. I mean, how often do you hear a Democrat calling for a balanced budget? He does, which makes that's extraordinary. Um, But if you look at his issues, if you go into like the jobs and the economy, he's really big on making investments in research and in technology and in the green economy. And if you are working in the scientific community in San Diego, particularly at Torrey Mesa and Sereno Mesa, where Qualcomm and, excuse me, a lot of other biotech and telecom companies are located, man, that's music to their ears. Um, that's like investing in those companies and helping build jobs locally. But when you're talking about investing 
When a government official is talking about investing in research and investing in the green economy, what I hear is corporate welfare. This is tax dollars that are going to go to corporations either directly to subsidize them or going to be used for research that is essentially subsidizing their R&D, their research and development. So it sounds good to invest in these things, but in reality, I don't think that's a good policy. I don't think the government should be investing in these kinds of things, investing in research. That's something that private companies should be doing. Um, you look at, you know, Peters on healthcare and, you know, he's not a hardcore lefty like um, uh, Bernie and wanting to do single payer and make private insurance illegal. He wants to build on the Affordable Care Act, which to me is reasonable. Um, you know, again, I would prefer more free market in the healthcare system, but at least he's not on the extreme left. Um, you know, he's big on women's choice and, um, you know, there's certain things on here that I think are good, you know, so he's obviously for, you know, protecting, he says equal rights, which is kind of like what I'm for, right? Individual rights. We all have the same rights. Um, no discrimination against different groups in terms of the rights they get from government. He's for a more relaxed immigration uh, system, but he still does support walls in some cases, which I'm not a supporter of. Um, He's very big on wanting to protect Medicare and protect Social Security. I think those systems need to be reformed dramatically. Um, I think that they are both on fiscally unsustainable trajectories. I think there's a lot of problems with Medicare and Social Security, but they are such third rails that politicians are afraid to touch them. Um, So to me, Peters is very much kind of middle of the road, um, more – you know, maybe conservative Democrat, but still very much for a lot of establishment and um, not the kind of innovator that I'd like to see. So to me, Peters always strikes me as a good guy, a likable guy, um, a guy that a lot of people that I trust and respect support Peters. Um, But he's not a guy that I would ever enthusiastically support. But then I'm looking at these other people and like even the independent candidate is not really a candidate that really, you know, grabs my attention. Um, They are also someone that really supports. um, Well, let's go back and look at uh, it was um, Ryan Cunningham. I remember I looked at the at the bio. Oh, excuse me. Ryan Cunningham is not even listed as um, uh, with a bio in the voter pamphlet. So you kind of wonder how serious of a candidate he is. So probably in the end, I'm going to leave this one blank. Um, I'm not going to vote for anybody in the 52nd district because there's nobody nobody here I would really support. Um, Then you go down here to the 77th district. Um, This is an assembly district in the state of California. And there's only two choices. That's it. You know, there's um, the the Democrat, Brian Mainsheim, a former Republican that switched teams um, so controversially um, a couple of years back. Mainsheim, you know, he lives in Carmel Mountain. He's ex- beloved in this area. People think he's terrific. Um, he's a very savvy politician. He was a city council member in the city of San Diego. Um, he's been reelected many times. Um, but, you know, he always supports initiatives that feel good. You always see him doing things with pets. He always has like a puppy in his hand. Um, and to me, it's just, I can tell he knows how to play that game. Um, he knew when the winds were shifting, when it was time to switch teams from Republican to Democrat. Um, Mainsheim is a guy to me that, again, is hard to dislike unless you're a hardcore Republican, then you probably hate him because he switched teams. 
but he just seems to be a guy that's sort of working the system. Um, he's going to likely be reelected because he's so beloved in the area. Um, June Yang Cutter, who is the Republican, I read the bio on her, and there's a lot of things in there to like. You know, she she wants to reduce taxes in California, which to me, taxes in California are out of control. I mean, we have the highest income tax in the nation. Um, our gas tax is the highest in the nation, and it just went up. Um, we have the highest state sales tax in the nation. You know, a sales tax has a state level and then local like county and city layers on top. The state portion of in California is the highest anywhere in the United States. Um, we have one of the highest um, uh, corporate taxes west of the Mississippi. We have, I think, the highest capital gains tax in the United States. Um, so the fact that she's calling for cutting taxes, she says she's for individual liberty. That's, those are buzzwords that get my attention. But at the same time, she was saying, you know, that you know, I'm going to read this to you from her, her page that really disappointed me when I read this. Um, you know, she's, she's big on, she wants to tackle the growing crime and homeless problem. And again, those are buzzwords that play well to the Republican base. But she says, as your assemblywoman, I will be a vote for public safety and victims' rights. I will vote to eliminate the parts of Proposition 47 and 57, which decriminalize felonies like drug possession and flooded our street with felons that initiate that these initiatives let out of jail early. And I'm thinking people that are busted on drug possession never should have gone to jail in the first place. If you get caught with a bag of weed um, or, you know, some other substance and you're not harming anybody, that's no reason to be thrown in jail. I mean, if you commit a violent um, act, you know, if you're stealing in order to get money to buy buy drugs, or if you are um, on drugs and, and you harm other people, then of course you should be held accountable for that and go to jail for that. But simply possession, she wants to repeal that. I mean, that's the reason why our prisons are so overcrowded. I mean, up until very recently, the state of California spent more money on prisons than they did on higher education. That's how out of whack the state of California is on this with, you know, the three strikes you're out rule just made the prison system so draconian and so expensive and so overly burdened. And I saw that where she wants to eliminate the parts of Prop 47 and 57, which decriminalize felonies like drug possession. And I read that. I'm like, oh, come on. She, one other part of her uh, website, she talks about supporting individual liberty. Well, here she wants to violate individual liberty. So I, I can't support her either. So I'm looking at, at this for um, Assembly District 57. I, I'm not going to vote for anybody here either. And it's the same. And and really, I think there's in this district, especially the assembly district in California, I think there's a great opportunity for some third parties or independent candidates to get involved, because I think Mainsheim is going to be termed out here pretty soon, either in 2022 or 2024. Um, So hopefully we're going to see some changes there. Um, So, yeah. So United States representative in the 52nd district. I'm not voting for anybody. Um, And in the. State Assembly District, um, 77th District, I'm not voting for anybody either. Okay, then we get to the judges. Now, I had a judge candidate here as a podcast guest, Mr. Pete Murray. Pete Murray from Poway. Um, We had a great conversation. And um, I've known Pete for, gosh, probably about 10 years. You know, our our kids play baseball together. His 
his middle son was like a little bit older than my son. We always kind of knew each other. And, and then I used to be the president of Poway National Little League, and he was one of the managers, and we got to know each other. Pete is a great guy. Uh, Pete lives like right around the corner from my house. And I've got a Pete Murray sign in my front yard right now uh, that he gave me after our podcast together, and I was proud to put that in our front yard. So definitely in office number 30, judge of the Superior Court, I will be voting for Pete Murray. Deputy Attorney General, um, and will not be voting for Mike Murphy, Tim Nader, or Paul Starita. But then I look at these other ones, and you know, Pete and I talked about what it's what it's all about voting for judges, and it's still so difficult. You you read their their bios, and you know they're all law and order types, is what you kind of expect, but it's still just so hard. And I was gonna maybe trust the opinion. Like there's one guy in town that I normally line up pretty heavily with. His name is Richard Ryder and he lives in Scripps Ranch. Uh, He actually recommends voting for CJ Modi in um, office number 18 and Mark Skeels in office number 22 and Sean McMillan in office number 36. And I'm still debating if I should take Ryder's opinion on that or not. I'm probably not. On the judges, I probably should check in with Pete and see what he thinks in these other races. I didn't ask him that before. So I think I'm going to do that on the lowdown, reach out to Pete, get his thoughts and trust Pete because I, I believe in Pete Murray. So Pete Murray will get my vote in the number uh, office number 30 and we'll see in the other three. All right. Now we're going to get to some of the other good ones here. OK, now we're going to talk about Board of Supervisors District 2. And I've talked about this race a number of times in the podcast. And who do we got? We got Joel Anderson, um, a se- <laughs> you got to be kidding me. His title in this is senior citizens advocate for Joel. <laughs> Joel, and that is a politically calculated occupation or title. Joel Anderson, of course, the former um, state senator, the former state assemblyman. Um, I uh, I attended a. Gosh, this was probably was in 2014, I think. Um, He has a big Christmas party every year at like, I think it's at El Cajon Toyota or El Cajon Ford or one of those dealerships out there. And I went to it. Man, this was this was an extravaganza. He had fully catered and all these VIPs were there. He had like this army of interns that were hustling around. There was a photo booth. I got my picture taken with Joel Anderson. I just wanted to check this thing out because it was so heavily publicized. And I was talking to some of the people there and I asked them about Joel Anderson and they just say, you know, he's just a, you know, just a, a, a pure Republican as Republicans go, you know, guns, God, um, you know, military. I mean, just kind of a very stereotypical Republican. Every time I've seen him, he's always wearing a blue suit, a white shirt and a red tie. Um, and uh, he's obviously beloved in East County. He's been reelected multiple times at the state level. And now he is running for the Board of Supervisors. Then there's Brian Sesco, a rancher and general contractor. Um, and oh, this is interesting, actually. I didn't notice this, but none of the Candidates in this Board of Supervisors race are listing their party. Um, so this is a nonpartisan race. So there's Brian Sesco, and he Brian Sesco is probably the least well-known of the group. In fact, I think he might even be a no-party preference. Then there's Mayor Steve Voss, um, Mayor Poway, who we've talked about uh, numerous times in this podcast. And then Kenya Taylor, who's the Democrat, a marriage family therapist. And so there's four candidates and there's a space for a write-in. And the top two will advance in November. So 
I'm looking at this. I'm going to vote for Voss and um, for a number of reasons. First of all, I know Steve Voss. Um, I like Steve Voss. Steve Voss and I don't see eye to eye on everything, but we see eye to eye on enough things that I I think he's worthy of voting for. Um, He's a guy that I can approach and talk to. If I ever have an issue, I can pick up the phone and call him. And I'm confident he'll take my call. So um, I'm going to vote for Steve Voss. I, I I met Joel Anderson. Joel Anderson never really makes me feel comfortable. I'm always – he's kind of an abrasive guy. Um, I never feel at ease around him. Um, and he's probably – again, politically, both Voss and Anderson are very right-wing Republican. And there's going to be a lot of issues that I don't necessarily support them on. Um, but – because I know Voss and because Voss is a Poway guy, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. The other angle to this that I'm, I'm interested in seeing how this plays out is I think by Voss being elected to the Board of Supervisors, that will obviously remove him as mayor. That's going to create some you know, some shifting and changing of the guard in the Poway City Council area. We're going to see, is there going to be a mayor? A, 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 a ballot, a vote for mayor? Are they going to appoint a mayor? And then if they appoint or elect one of the existing council members, who's going to get that seat? So I'm intrigued by that. I think it's going to bring some new blood into the Poway City Council, which I think is a good thing. Um, So Voss's subtraction from Poway can ultimately be a positive for Poway, mostly because I think we can get some new blood. Uh, Voss has been... um, on the Poway City Council now for six years, so um, I'm kind of so again I I I, I like that shifting, um, I like that creation of opportunity here in the city of Poway, so we'll see. So we, I'll be I will be voting for Voss. I'm not going to be voting for Anderson or Sesco or Taylor, and I can only vote for one. But they're they're going to take the top two. Okay, so then there's Prop 13. Now Prop 13. People are angry that they didn't retire this number, number 13, because Prop 13, of course, goes way back to the late 70s. The Howard Jarvis was a Jarvis Gan or Gan Jarvis. This is the property tax initiative way a long time ago. The original Prop 13, you know, that that really kind of kept property taxes from increasing dramatically, that kept property taxes somewhat in check. Um, And. There, Prop 13, there's people that are hardcore supporters of the old Prop 13. There's now some challenges, some potential erosion of the old Prop 13. So that's a battle that's been going on for a while and it's going to continue. But meanwhile, there's a new proposition that is also Prop 13, which is creating confusion. And this is to authorize bonds for facility repair, construction, and modernization of public preschools, K-12 through schools, community colleges, and universities. It authorizes $15 billion in state general obligation bonds for construction and modernization of public education facilities. Um, Fiscal impact increased state costs to repay bonds estimated at about $740 million per year, including interest over the next 35 years. So this is a hard no, 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 no. Um, I, as a rule, will always vote no on bonds and vote no on tax increases because, like I said, California is already extraordinarily heavily taxed. Um, And I don't think we need to be keep adding to it. Um, And bonds 
are either directly or indirectly tax increases. In some cases, like Measure P in Poway, is a tax increase, which we'll talk about. In this case, it looks like it's going to be funded from within the district, uh, within the general fund, but basically that moves money in the fund to the, the pay for these bonds and and then has less money for other things, which when they squeeze other parts of the budget, that'll just be further justification for more tax increases later. That's how it's usually always played. The other part of this that is troubling to me is that historically, school bonds have always been used to for construction of new buildings. But we've we've gone past that now. Now we're seeing um, school bonds being used to, to buy technology, school bonds being used for repair and maintenance. And what this is, is a way to circumvent the original Prop 13, because the original Prop 13 prevented um, property tax um, revenue from dramatically increasing, which would then fund more and more money to public schools. Um, but because there is a it's not really a reduction in funding in schools, it's a limit in the in the rate of growth in funding for schools. Uh, because of that, they're scrambling to find other ways to get revenue. And if they can then move some of these maintenance costs, technology costs, repair costs to a bond, then that frees up cash in the regular budget to keep giving more and more salary increases, which is part of the game, the quid pro quo game between the unions and the elected officials that they play. You know, in order to get the teacher's endorsement, um, you know, you have to give teachers what they want, in this case, supporting these bonds, which will then indirectly lead to more teacher raises, more increases in pension funds for teachers, and it plays like that. And in the end, it's taxpayers are the ones on the hook. Um, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big no on this. Um, and uh, yeah, so um, there was one other point I was going to make on this one, but it's escaping me. But at any rate, um, yeah, oh, and also the other part of it is, it's interesting is, one of the no, the things in Poway Measure P is that if it passes, they will qualify for additional um, uh, matching funds on on bonds, and that's where some of these matching funds come from from this Prop 13 bond issue. Um, so in the end, I think it's all a shell game. It's all a manipulation of the system to try to increase taxes or take money from other portions of the budget to to fund certain portions of the budget for schools, thus freeing up cash for more and more salary increases that are paid for on the backs of the struggling middle-class people here in the state of California. So again, that's a hard no. Okay, then there's Measure A in, Cal- in, the, in, the, state, in the county of San Diego. This is the amendment to the San Diego County General Plan. Um, shall this initiative be adopted for the purpose of amending the San Diego County General Plan to require voter approval for general plan amendments that increase residential density for properties designated by the general plan as semi-rural or rural. So this is the this is a similar story that's been played out over the years. You know, are you for protecting the backcountry? Are you for protecting our wildlife? Um, are you for protecting the countryside? The other angle to this is, We don't want those evil developers developing land because the developers are are money-grubbing, evil SOBs, and we don't like developers. You know, you hear that angle talked about a lot as well. Um, This, what's interesting is, is a lot of people have compared this to Prop FF and Poway. 
I think that's a very fair comparison. Prop FF and Poway was one where there's a general plan that's been set for zoning throughout the city. And if there's any change to that plan, the city council can't do it on their own. They need to get the people to vote. Well, that's the same thing they're trying to do at a county level. Um, In order to change the zoning in some of these semi-rural or rural areas, the people have to vote rather than simply allowing the county board of supervisors to vote. Well, this is a a big no for me as well. And the reason is, is I'm a big, I told you about my my five principles, right? Um, Individual rights, limited government, peace, tolerance, and free markets. Well, I'm a big guy for property rights. If you own property, it's yours and you should be able to build on it. Um, And I don't think that, you know, some bureaucrat in downtown San Diego should be telling you what to do. If you are willing to pay for it and it's on your land and you're doing it safely and and you're staying in the lanes, just just you can build. Um, At the same time, there's a huge housing crisis. We have a desperate need for more housing, um, not only to satisfy all the people that need housing, but it's causing housing to be extraordinarily expensive, which is also one one of many variables to the homelessness uh, challenge. Um, there's a desperate need for housing. Even the people that are for Measure A agree we have a housing crisis, but they're like, don't build it out in the, um, in the rural area or the semi-rural area. They think it's going to create more traffic and congestion, and they want to instead build in more dense areas of San Diego County. Well, we need to do that too. In my opinion, we need to do both. Um, and I think also as technology progresses, and we've talked about this before with electric vehicles, especially self-driving cars, I think traffic issues are going to be minimized over time. I also think with technology and um, you know the ability to work from home, telecommuting is going to become more and more prevalent. I think there's going to be less need for people to be on the road during rush hour as well. So I think we just need to relax these rules, let people build, build more housing, put more roofs over people's heads. And we need to free it up in the urban area, in the suburban area, and even in the rural area as well. Um, And just live and let live. Um, so I'm a, I'm a, I'm a hard no on that. Cause, cause you imagine if it came down to the voters actually having to approve it, it would turn into a circus every election season. And it's the same story. They always pit like the evil developers are on one side and the money grubbing developers and these developers. Yeah, of course they want to make money, but they're also want to build houses and those houses put roofs on over people's heads. Um, and imagine people, you know, these are like suburban homes, middle class homes. People are going to move up. That's going to free up some of the um, entry level homes and the entry level rental areas and other parts of the county. It's going to create a nice shifting, a, a readjustment of the equilibrium. Um, it's going to be very helpful. Um, so, but again, just strictly on the level of property rights, um, we, we should let people build. And because otherwise it's going to be a a political circus every election season. Okay, measure B, um, that's the Newland Sierra amendments, to the San Diego County general plan. And I'm not going to read it. It's a lot of technical stuff. But my understanding is it's they're trying to build um, like twenty two hundred homes up in an area sort of in between Escondido and Fallbrook. And, you know, is this an area that. Potentially would require a vote if Measure A passed. 
I've heard arguments both ways. I'm not sure. But in this one, I'm going to – this is a big yes. OK. So again, I'm supportive of property rights. I'm supportive of building more housing. Um, and we can argue about where the housing should be and it's debatable where it's built. But this is 2,200 homes. Those should be built. I mean, we, we need to be breaking down barriers that uh, get in the way of allowing people to build homes because there's a housing crisis. And because this is these people land, they can monetize their land. They can have some income from that. That's helpful for our economy, too. So uh, I'm a big yes on that. OK, and then here we get to Measure P. And boy, I've done numerous podcasts on Poway Unified School District Measure P to improve classrooms, science labs, and career training facilities that support college preparation, career readiness in math, science, engineering, technology, arts, and skilled trades vocations, improve student safety security, remove asbestos, lead paint where needed, and repair aging roofs, plumbing, and electrical, shall the Poway Unified School District measure authorizing $448 million in bonds at legal rates be adopted, leveling approximately $0.03 per $100 assessed value, while bonds are outstanding with citizen oversight, all funds under control. Huge, massive, massive no. No on P, nope, no way, no how. Um, and let me, let me just summarize this. First of all, the way this ballot measure is written is that if you vote no on this, it makes you seem like you don't support education. That's false. Um, what this ultimately is is a way to to tax people more because this would be a, an addition on our property taxes in order to pay teachers and school employees more and more and more. These key guys keep getting raises and raises and raises, and we're the ones that are holding the bag. We're the ones that have to pay. And what point do we say no? And at the same time, Poway Unified still hasn't started paying for its billion-dollar bond that disgraced the school district, that put us into the national news that damaged our brand locally, that those payments aren't going to start until the early 2030s. And then we've got this layer of debt on top of it. I mean, at what point are we going to say no? Now, I've gone through ways that we can improve all of these classroom facilities. We can even pay for part of, you know, if not all of this $448 million bond from within the school district and pay cash and pay as you go. It will require a 5 to 6% cut in their operating budget. I've given a long list of ways that they can maximize, um, you know, their, their value, get, you know, getting the most for their buck and clearing space in their budget to make room for this. Um, but they don't want to do it. They want to put the burden on the taxpayer. I say no way. The other part of this is it says there's going to be a citizens oversight um, committee that's going to um, look over all this. Baloney. Uh, I was on the last citizen oversight committee, the budget review advisory committee. I chaired it in 2015 and 16. We made recommendations to the Poway Unified School District that they were in a structural deficit that they needed to not only stop spending on new initiatives, they needed to immediately cut spending to avoid getting into a deficit. What did they do? They ignored us. They flat out ignored us. They kept spending more money. And now, um, counting this fiscal year, it'll be three of the previous four years they will be in deficit spending, dwindling reserves, unable, unable to balance their budget. You know, even Scott Peters wants to balance the budget at the federal level. I give him credit for that. Poway Unified can't balance their budget because they're constantly they're constantly in this quid pro quo relationship with the unions that elect the, the school board members. So the whole thing is a cluster. 
The right answer is, is the taxpayers have to say, no, you screwed us before. You're not screwing us again. We got screwed on the billion dollar bond. We're not getting screwed again. I think this is going to go down and it's going to lose. But I also think that they're going to keep coming back in November of 2020. And we'll see it again in 2022 and maybe even in 2024. They're going to keep knocking on the door. We've got to be diligent. We've got to keep saying no. So measure P, a hard no from me. And wow, that's the rest of my ballot. The rest of the ballot here has like, you know, um, ballot positions in favor and, and, and against. It's all very interesting if you want to read through it. But sometimes I just let my principles guide me. Individual rights, limited government, peace, tolerance, free markets. And um, that makes my decisions very easy. In some cases, it makes my decisions hard because I'm voting on candidates and I don't like either one of them. None of them match up with my principles then I'm not going to vote for any of them. And I'm okay with that. Because um, if I were to compromise myself and vote for someone I don't like, I think that would be throwing my vote away. And I refuse to do that. So, um, yeah, well, that's how, that's how I'm voting. So um, I'm going to roll into, um, what is it going to be? Uh, St. Gabriel Catholic Church on Twin Peaks Road. I'll do that on Tuesday. And um, usually I'm in and out in about 10 minutes. People, they're always friendly, very nice. Um, they don't ask for your ID, which is good. Um, usually you're in and out and uh, you get my little I voted sticker. And um, I usually put that on the backside of my phone and it lasts for about a month and feel good about that. So um, what else do I want to say here as we conclude this episode? And I'm going to bring up my notes here. And come on, Samsung tablet. Where were you? Where are you? Where are you? Here it comes. I think it was, yeah, just my concluding notes here. Um, check me out on social media. Um, come on out to the John Riley Project Facebook page. I post all my episodes there. I also have the John Riley Project Insiders group. Um, I posted two new videos there last week, and I need to be doing more of that, but I'm really happy with the last two videos I posted. One of them was um, on my trip to Virginia City in Nevada, and another one was at an extraordinary Airbnb in Ridgecrest, California, and I did a video of that as well. Um, that's bonus content that's not available in the regular podcast. If you go to the John Riley Project Insiders Group on Facebook, request permission. You got to answer a couple of questions. I let everybody in. Um, and there, you know, some of my uh, more, I guess, uh, hardcore fans, we tend to have more in depth conversations there. Um, I have some folks that love to listen to every podcast and will respond there. And we kind of have a conversation after every podcast episode. So I welcome you to join us in the John Riley Project Insiders Group. It's a closed group. Just request permission. You answer a few simple questions. I let everybody in. Uh, but you can also follow me on my regular John Riley Project, you know, Facebook page. It's like a fan page. And that's where I post all the episodes. I'm also on Twitter. And um, um, I'm on Instagram, but not as much. I'm really active on Twitter. My, my handle there is John Riley. Poway. And then, of course, if you're watching this on YouTube, if you could do me a favor, click on the subscribe button. I'm really trying to build subscriptions. We've been building a lot lately, which is great, but we still have a lot more to do. And if you're listening on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify, please subscribe there. And if you feel like we deserve it, leave a, leave a rating and review five stars. If you think it's worth it, um, that could be really helpful, too. Um, so I, I got a closing quote here, and uh, this is from Thomas Sowell. And Thomas Sowell is a guy I greatly respect. He's a, um, 
he's a professor. I think he was – was he at the University of Chicago? He might have been. And I know he's at Stanford now, Hoover Institute. Um, just a fascinating guy. He's got to be like in his 70s now, maybe his early 80s. Uh, but what a, just a great guy. Um, so here's a quote um, that he offered, and it's, it's about voting. And I offer this up. If you have been voting for politicians who promise to give you goodies at someone else's expense – then you have no right to complain when they take your money and give it to someone else, including themselves. Ah, yes. So that's, um, you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul. That's sort of uh, taking money from one group, giving it to another. It's a violation of individual rights. It's a violation of liberty. It's, it's government that is beyond the scope of what it's intended to do. Um, that's why I'm for those, those five principles, Right. Individual rights, limited government, peace, tolerance, free markets. So, um, wow, Thomas Sowell, right on the money there. So this concludes episode number 114 of the John Riley Project. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. And we'll catch you later. See you later, friends. Bye-bye.